one of the big reasons, once again, like when I went to Crenshaw, I saw Pearl Washington play. Okay. And I was like, whoa, man, his, I hadn't seen coming from LA. I mean, we had a lot of great players, but the New York style of ball was different than the Los Angeles style of ball. Mm-hmm. So now I see Pearl Washington play and this ball is like, as he's dribbling it, it's like it's connected to him. You gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you wanna be judged on wood grain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next when they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy ice cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling Yo, what up, everybody? This is Manny Digital. Welcome to another quarantine edition of the Dribbling Dimes podcast. Today, my guest, yo, his his Wi-Fi is on smash. He's coming through crystal clear, and I think his vocals are going to be perfect. But in case we do have some issues with the, with the Wi-Fi situation, I'm not going to put it on our guest. I'm just saying, COVID creates some craziness when it comes to internet connectivity. So I apologize in advance. But uh, our guest today, um, he went to Crenshaw High School. Now, we are a Tri-State Area podcast, so for some of you, that may not be all that familiar, but I think you guys are worldly enough to know Crenshaw is likely in L.A., right? So Crenshaw High School is where he came from. Notably, he is an L.A. dude. He played four seasons as a member of the Syracuse Orangemen back in the late 80s, very early 90s. He's actually a part of the all-century team there. Everybody, now I could barely count to understand what a century is. You are part of a team that is considered all century, so that's that's a big honor. Um, he's currently the assistant coach at Oregon State University, uh, one of them. He's played a couple of years in the NBA, but he also uh played for about nine seasons overseas and had some travels in the CBA, if I'm, if I'm correct. Um, he's got two boys that also are following in his footsteps, both of which have played, uh, well, one currently plays, the other graduated from Oregon State University as a player and a smashing academic talent. Um, this man played with notable names like Ronnie Cycli, Derek Coleman, Sherman Douglas, Bobby, uh, Billy Owens. These are all his teammates, folks. And, uh, of course, his coach at the time was Jim Beheim, who still resides at Syracuse. With us today is Stephen Thompson. <laughs> Man, um, first and foremost, I have to say shout out to Dane. Uh, he put us together. He connected us. I really appreciate him. He's a former guest on the show. Um it's, it's always funny to me uh, to connect with people that I've never met with uh, at all, right? Um, mm-hmm. Especially, I, I consider people like yourself notable 
um, to a large degree, not necessarily because you touch the NBA or you play basketball professionally, but like, you know, you're more in the media than the casual person is, right? And you, you have an elevated status when it comes to media in general. You touch so many lives. You impact so many people as a coach. Um, and I always look at it like, man, people probably think it's kind of weird to have some rando, like, come up. You know what I mean? Who is this podcast? What the hell are they talking about, right? Um, so so it's always, um, I, I hold it very near and dear to me when somebody's willing to extend the olive branch and, like, make an introduction to somebody like yourself. So, Dane, um, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Um, so, so, Mr. Thompson, um, you're an L.A. dude originally, right? And, and I'm really curious about that dynamic, right? Because... I'm a New York guy. I've been to LA a bunch, lived in California, in the northern part of California for a little while. I, I understand me being from the Bronx, there's stereotypes about where you come from that are some true truth to them, but misunderstood, I think, in a lot of cases, right? I look at somebody, when somebody says Crenshaw to me, there's a whole bunch of baggage that comes with that that means a whole bunch of different things. So I'm curious... What was your reality growing up, and how did that contribute to your stumbling into the game of basketball at the level you did? Uh, well, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, and um, actually, uh, my, my home schools were were was not Crenshaw, so I had to kind of go out of district to attend that school, and uh, and at that time. Um, you know, just like any inner city kid, you, you grew up, you love sports and we would play all the different games. It was seasonal. During baseball season, we'd be out in the street playing baseball and, and same with football and same with basketball. And at, growing up, I was actually a better baseball player. Damn. Or I, I had more passion for the game up until about the ninth grade. It's, and, it's insane to me. Like, I would have never guessed so many of our guests say the same exact thing. Like yeah. their first love was baseball and something happened. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> there was something that happened, but it, before I say what happened in, in retrospect, I, I, I look back and say, well, man, these baseball players make good salaries as well. They're, doing, they're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what happened was in the ninth grade, I watched, uh, and I was a pretty good athlete growing up. So I, I, I was a, a better than average athlete growing up. Mm -hmm. But in the ninth grade, I watched uh, the final four that year. And it was, I, I believe it. No, I think this was the, yeah, this was the final four game. It wasn't the championship game, okay. but it was five slamma jamma Houston mm -hmm. against uh, Louisville. Mm -hmm. And Houston had Drexler, Elijah Wan, Larry Michaud, uh, uh, Benny Anders, they had a high-flying team. Uh, the Louisville Cardinals had the McCray twins, um, uh, Milt Wagner, uh, God, it had another guard. I think it was Lancaster Gordon, but everybody was above the rim, and it was about 20 dunks in this mm. uh, semifinal game. And so when I saw that, I was mesmerized, and I was like – that 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 seems really exciting to be able to do that. The athleticism, so, the above yeah, the rim action. Yeah. So 
right then, I just, every night, I just started jumping rope. Somebody must have told me that jumping rope was a way to increase your jumping ability. Mm. Um, and that we had a kind of a high ceiling in one of our rooms at the house. And I just was kept trying to touch the, the, the ceiling. I, I couldn't reach it at that point. But every night, I just was trying to do it. But through that, I just started jumping out of the, out of the gym. And I, I guess at my highest peak, I had a 44-inch vertical. Whoa. So <laughs> that kind of uh, uh, determined how I played, too, because growing up, Dr. J was my idol. Mm. And so now I'm able to do things athletically like Dr. J was able to do. And so from that point forward, it became all basketball. Wow. That's, that's, so a couple, couple questions for, for an aspiring dunker at 40. Um, <laughs> you, you said jumping rope. So it was funny. I started with all this COVID stuff, there's very limited things we can do, right? So I've, I've had a jump rope laying there for years, and I finally started using it through this. So my morning routine is I go jump rope, then I go yeah. take my walk, come back, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to do something for my vertical. I mean, I'm, I'm over the hill. Right. So like, I don't, I don't know how much progress I'm going to make, but, but you do. So would you, would you really attribute, um, your ability to dunk from that exercise? And I'm sure you did other things, but like, for surely it started it. Well, I could jump already. Yeah, sure. I had some ability to do that already, Right. but it helped for sure. And then it's funny when, so back then uh, high schools didn't start or public high schools didn't start until the 10th grade. So when I got uh, uh, the high school, so it was just 10th through 12th grade. So wait, so ninth was like junior high still? Yes. In public schools, in LA unified schools, it was uh, ninth grade was still junior high back then. But what also really helped when I got to Crenshaw, they had a machine and my coaches, my, we had a legendary high school coach, Willie West. We called it the leaping machine, okay. and it was it was almost like a uh, like you were squatting, but it was a machine, and you would just go up and down on this thing. And trust me, everybody from my high school could jump, and wow. that machine really helped everybody it, it, it increase their vertical jump. Now I haven't seen this machine since Crenshaw High School. I don't know where where it went to, but it was it was that probably more than the jump rope really helped me get over the top. We got to put out an APB for the leap machine. Yes, yeah. The way you described it, I thought it was like kind of a squat press machine that you might Almost, see but it was, it was more of a... Uh, uh, God, I can't, it's hard for me to describe. Don't worry. I'm going to let you sketch yeah, it out yeah. and send it to me yeah, later. Exactly. Don't worry about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But okay, so let's rewind a little bit. Um, so, so ninth grade was... Actually, so you specifically mentioned... That NCAA Final Four game between Louisville yep. and, and Houston was yep. what catapulted your interest into the game. Yes. What were the next... So you started jumping rope, trying to get your leaping ability up because that's what you gravitated toward. Yeah. But at some point, you knew to develop more than just your jump. Like It wasn't like you were just like, I'm going to be Sean Kemp, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. And you know Sean Kemp did other things also, but he was known for dunking. Yeah. Your stats show... You could shoot the ball damn well. So what was like your mentality? How did you organize yourself to say, all right, I'm going to actually do well playing this. What yeah. steps did you outline to try to get there? And was it just you or did you have help to try to structure your approach? Well, I'll tell you, uh, 
probably even before that. Like like I said, growing up, we um, we played all sports. Right. But what, like I said, that that uh, story I told you about the Final Four kind of took me really over the top to basketball. But prior to that, my mom was, you know, I grew up, uh, my dad passed away when I was 10. Mm. So my mom really played a big part. But when I was probably six, seven, sixth and seventh grade, or maybe seventh and eighth grade, we had season seats to the Lakers games. Um. And this was in the middle of Showtime. Yep. Magic, Kareem, Worthy, Jamal Wilkes, and all these guys. And and so st- just watching this and, you know, to watch 41 games a year in the form, you know, you learn a lot and you pick up a lot, not only from that Laker team, but from all the teams coming Business. in, you know. So those, those things kind of stick with you. And then you would get in your backyard and try to emulate mm. those things. And so – once, as I, you know, had it as a youth growing up, that experience, and then now adding the athleticism to it, then, you know, to be able to take it to the next level, college and, 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 and pros, that was a good thing. But now, in terms of shooting, though, my, at my size, I was attacking the basket. So that's why the shooting percentage is, is, is where it's at, because most of my shots at my size still were at, at the rim. At the rim. Mm. And so... You, I saw I saw a video of you playing, you know, for for the camera with your kids playing shooting some hoops, yeah. And uh, you, you finish at the rim. You got like the interesting like I call it like a finger roll ish yeah. like little layup going on. Yeah. I was yeah. like, damn, that's smooth. And you, I mean, yeah. not to call you old, but you're not like college yeah. age anymore. You know what I mean? And this was, I think, it was recent. Yeah. Um. So so you, there was a lot of reps. You could tell there was a lot of reps to get yeah. to get that finesse. Yeah. yeah. Um. And actually, now that I think about it, you did kind of remind me a little Dr. J with the with the flair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you get to to high school. First of all, you said you it wasn't your zone school. So, why was it that you decided to go there? Was it just a better educational opportunity, or was it athletics that? Yeah, it was. It was athletics for okay. sure. Okay. And and I had I had from first through ninth grade, I grew up going to private school, mm. and so. When it was time for me to go to Crenshaw, I had to beg my mother to even let me go to a public school. Right. And we made an agreement that I had to get straight A's in order to, to maintain it if I went there. And, that, and, I, and I made sure I did do that. When I graduated from Crenshaw, I think, believe it, I graduated third in my class wow. uh, when I left there. But um, why I went to Crenshaw when I was a ninth grader, my uncle took me to the LA city championship when at that time they, they played that championship at uh, the LA Coliseum. That's where the Clippers played at that time. Yep. But Crenshaw was playing banning banning high school, which uh, was a, was a pretty big rivalry back then. But one of Crenshaw's players, their star player was a guy named John Williams and John Williams Really, at that time, if he 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 was really a one and done or a guy that could could have come out of high school at that time. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He ended up going to LSU for a couple years. Then he got drafted, I think, a lottery pick. uh, And he started with the Washington Bullets, played probably nine years, 10 years in the NBA. But then uh, I think he finished off playing overseas. But when I saw him play 
And I saw the atmosphere around that team in the sports arena that night. Once again, almost a moment like, like watching the final four game, I had to be a part of that. Mm. And I said, for my game to go to the next level, I had to be a part of that. And once again, it took a lot of begging and, and pr- making promises to my mother. And she ended up letting me do it. And it probably was one of the best decisions, you know, in terms of my athletic career in my life. Did, did you understand the, because you mentioned you had a legendary coach um, yeah. guide you there. Did you understand yeah. the magnitude of who he was at the time and how beneficial it might be for you personally? Not, not, not the magnitude. I knew he was a special coach, but I, I didn't know the magnitude. And as I was going through it, I learned of the history of Crenshaw. I mean, Crenshaw, I I mean, if you go with their history, Marcus Johnson, I don't know if you heard of him, was an alumni there. Uh, Daryl Strawberry. uh, That's news to to me. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, he, um, uh, God, and, and there's many more famous, famous athletes in football basketball and uh, uh, baseball to come out of there. Wow. And so I knew that being a part of, of the tradition of Crenshaw or Shaw would help my help me yep. in the long run. But I, as a, as a youngster going through it, I didn't realize the type of mentorship, leadership, and, and uh, a, a role model that I would be getting in coach West. Mm. How so, so if you didn't have, so you, you lacked a, uh, Oh, I hate to say it that way because I'm sure you had male role, you know, figures yeah. from your family out that weren't your father, obviously, um, yeah. growing up. But but you didn't have a dad uh, for yeah. a good portion yeah. of your of your life. Yeah. Um, and a lot of athletes say their coaches, in many cases, the good ones, end up kind of being kind of to some degree fill that void, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Was was that what Coach West was for you? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, it was. I've been blessed in that way. Uh, my high school coach and my college coach mm. kind of served that role, even Jim Beheim as well. And both guys are legendary coaches, the top of uh, the top coaches of their uh, at their level. Mm-hmm. And 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 I've been blessed to have those guys to fill that void of a father yeah. figure. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, it meant it meant a lot to me. So I'm I'm assuming you did great in Crenshaw. What mm-hmm. what uh was there a moment in so like you know you said tenth grade is when high school began mm-hmm. between tenth and twelfth grade like was there a moment where you just took off? Yeah. Uh, so um, my so when when I when I end up going to Crenshaw because I was out of district I was ruled I had made the varsity team as a 10th grader mm-hmm. and wow. but I was ruled ineligible because I weren't I wasn't in their district to play varsity so it was crazy it was it was uh I'm literally because when we practiced JV practiced on one side of the floor and varsity practiced on the other they, we practiced at the same time so we wish one half was one was varsity the other half was JV and so the news came down that I would be ineligible for varsity that year. They literally in the middle of practice took me from the varsity floor, the center line, yes, to the JV floor. And you're talking about kind of demor, not, you know, this was what I, 
this is why I went here. It was to play with John Williams, to be on that team and to win city championships and state championships. And then to have to move over to the other side of the floor was, boy, it was, it, it sunk me. But I, I you know, I, I, I wallowed in pity for a minute and I put my head up and I, I went on to terrorize JV that year. <laughs> yeah. And you don't see that now when guys now are, are ineligible for some reason, they'll just sit out the year. It's the pity in high party. School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they won't even play JV. Or yeah, like, it's beneath them. Yeah, so but but when I went over there and I was just determined to kill JV, and what that did for me was really kept my motor going and kept it high. So when I now as an eleventh grader, I go to varsity, I don't miss a beat. You know, I'm city player of the year. I wow. you know we win city and state. Our team finishes number one in the country. As an 11th grader, we represent the United States. If you go to Crenshaw now, there's a white banner in there that says world champion. Because in 1985, we represented the United States in the world championships in Denmark, and we we won it. And um, so, you know, that, and once again, I do believe that 10th grade year having to sit out really kept me firing to, to, to and motivated to have success even the following years. That, that's beautiful to hear because adversity hits us all at some moment in time. And, yeah. and it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I fall victim to this all the time, right? When adversity hits my first <clears throat> instinct, and I think probably most people's is panic up, uh, get upset and let that take over and consume you yeah. versus yeah. use it as an indication like, okay, like accept it, but like use it as a, as a chip on your shoulder. Sounds like that's what you did. Yep. But it's yep. it's interesting, and we're just meeting virtually yep. for the first time. You come across as a very humble, forthright person, right? But I've seen this story play out before, right? Yeah, yep. that that is the demeanor off the court. On the court, were yep. you just an all-out savage? <laughs> One of the things on the court, I just played hard, and and if you did. My style, like I'm, I'm, I was always listed at six four. I'm somewhere between six three and six four. Okay. I, but I played at the rim, like we talked about. Because when I was probably eighth grade, I had a size fourteen shoe. So I'm thinking, I'm going to be my uh, hero, six Dr. J. I'm going to be six 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 seven. Right. I knew I would grow into it, but I kind of stopped growing at that point. But, um, but the way I played. You, you had to play really hard and aggressive in order to get away with it. And, and that's just once I hit those lines, I wasn't big and, you know, talking and, and all that. You, I would probably keep the same expression throughout the whole game. I, with, in moments where there were big things happening, of course, sure. I, 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 was, I was pumped up about it. But, but, um, but I just had to, I had to play almost on edge to be successful. What what was the competition level like when you were coming up? Because me being a New York guy, I I have a sense of what it was. And by the way, just full disclosure, yeah. I wasn't a player. I mean, <laughs> I, I play, but it's yeah. more play play versus actual competition. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think nationally the media will say like, you know, at one time people were going around talking about the Mecca of New York, yada, yada, yada. Right. But, uh, I, you know, everybody I talk to, all pretty much everywhere now, you see great yeah. competition. But back then, when you were coming up, what was the environment like? 
Oh, I mean, it was, it was intense. I mean, especially in the LA city schools to win a city championship. You were going to it war. Meant, it, it meant everything. And you had to go, you know, it was almost, well, you know, I don't want to use that term where, you know, different areas in LA, you'll have different gangs and different yeah. rivalries and different this or that. I mean, it was, it was the same on the basketball court as well. And, and you're representing your patch of the city. And it was wars when you went out to play. And, and, uh, but it meant a lot. Like, like I said, I, I won two city championships, two state championships and, um, a world championship, but probably when I look back at it, the city championships are what meant the most because that means you had to go through some some extreme adversity to win those. So I was I was just about to ask you how significant is the state championship in comparison, but yeah, that made I mean you threw in the world on top of that. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, you went to Denmark. You said in '85. Yeah, was that your first time out of the country? Yes, it was. Yeah, how was that? Cause yeah. I don't know what the hell I would think like, yeah. coming out of high school, going to a different country. Yeah, it was, it was great. Cause I, we, we were with our team. So I, uh, and, and um, there, there's been times when I've played overseas, like uh, my first year playing overseas, I went to Belgium. And when I look back on it, Belgium actually was a good place. Most people spoke English. It was easy to get around. It was, it was good living, but I was single at the time mm. and um, you, you got homesick, you know, the other Americans were married and had children. So they were with their families and it just was like, I was there by myself. But, but in the, the years to follow, my wife went with me and we just had a great time because we got out and learned the culture and, and, and did try to do things more than basketball. Mm. And so it ended up being a great, you know, Life experience. experience. Life experience, for sure. But but when I went with Crenshaw, what made it good is you're traveling with your teams, your teammates, your brothers to a new place. Yeah. And we're just absorbing all, all of it. And, and and we're winning. And people were treating us like a, a rock band, you know, yeah, over there. Because we were, you know, we almost had, no, I don't think we had, but we almost, I think we had 197 points one game. So we yeah. were... Yeah, we were running up the scores and people were like, they'd never seen this style of basketball because we pressed the whole game. The whole game. And full so, court? Yeah, full court, the whole ah. game. And so with, nobody really ever saw that style. I mean, they saw it in the L.A. City, but they worldwide, they probably never saw that style. So it was everybody was in amazement. And so we were treated really great over there. So it was a great experience. Damn, y'all went over there to kill for real. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Man. So, oh, damn. So, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, you know, 16, 17 year old kid in a foreign yep. country, yep. getting, I mean, getting busy, yeah. all sorts of yeah. busy on the court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you was so high school, you were dunking. Yeah. It was oh, showtime yeah. for you yeah. all day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. By the, by the, by the, after that, uh, final four. So that was what March. So by after working out a month or two to get the jumping up by the summer of the ninth grade, I, I was dunking on cats. Oh, shoot. And it was, yeah, it was it was, you know, I didn't do it the ninth grade year, but the summer after the ninth grade. Yeah, it was it you was, was over. You was victimizing out there. You was catching yeah, cases yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So, so when does it come to your mind? Like, you, you get to a point in high school where you're being recruited, I assume, right? Mm-hmm. What was that process like? Like, who was coming at you? How was, what was your mindset around, like, what your next step was going to be? Because at, t- at that point, you already knew you were yeah. talented enough. You were getting yeah. the attention. H- yeah. How was that process? Uh, well, it was, it was, uh, but let's say this, first of all, growing up in everybody in my neighborhood and probably every kid, you want to go play for UCLA. Yep. That was it. That was the thing. And, and once I started gaining notoriety and attention, of course, UCLA offered the scholarship. And you know what? At that time, Walt Hazard was the head coach. Okay. I love Walt. He actually, when I was a senior, his son was a 10th grader at Crenshaw. So, so I, 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 but at the time, you know, now I I took it, I took this, I took this thing. And once again, in a short period of time, because I didn't play varsity as a 10th grader. So I went to my first national camp, uh, was a Nike camp. I I don't think they called it that it was at Princeton. Uh, they may have called it not a- uh, I can be a- ABCD was after your, your after, time. after yeah, yeah, but it was equivalent to that. Got it. And um, when I left that camp, once again, it was a national camp playing with a chip on my shoulder. I got ranked as high as number six high school player. So now well, this was your senior year. This was summer. A- the summer after my junior, junior year. year. Okay. After my junior year of high school. Go- so going into my senior year. Right. And. So now, like you said, all the recruiting and attention and all this stuff starts to happen. And, and I, I was always, like I said, wanting to go to UCLA. And now I finally have that opportunity. But now I, I get hit with another element on the other side. Here comes the Big East roaring in. And at that time, I think the two or three previous years, Georgetown was in the final four with Patrick Ewing. They may have even won one. Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, so. Uh, St. John's may have been in the final four with Chris Mullen a couple times. And then here comes Syracuse. And one of, we, we, you, I know you're a New York guy, but one of the big reasons, once again, like when I went to Crenshaw, I saw Pearl Washington play. Okay. And I was like, whoa, man. <laughs> I hadn't seen coming from LA. I mean, we had a lot of great players, but the New York style of ball was different than the Los Angeles style of ball. Mm-hmm. So now I see Pearl Washington play, and this ball is like, as he's dribbling, and it's like it's connected to him. You know, he's dribbling all over the place, but it's like it's an extension of him. And mm-hmm. I never have se- had never seen anything like that. Then you throw in the carrier dome, you got 30 some thousand people there. Is every it that night. many? Yeah. I mean, oh my God. When I was there. I know it was 35,000. Wow. You know, I don't know what the record is now, but, but, um, but also at that time it was the, the ESPN was starting. Oh, so right. Syracuse now was on TV twice a week. They were on CBS on the weekends and then ESPN, you know, during the week. And so now I'm getting a lot of, seeing a lot of this going on. And once again, as a young guy, I'm liking what I see. And so, and, and, and as I was being recruited, I was really young. See, I, my first college games, I played at 17 years old. 
I didn't turn 18 until December of my freshman year. Oh. So when I was being recruited and had to make this decision, I was a 16 year old. Wow. And so now I, I got caught up with, I want to be a part of the Big East. Syracuse, no better place than Syracuse, Pearl, Washington, the Carrier Dome. That's where I'm going. And so that's where I ended up going. What is and, your uh, what does your mother say about your decision making? Yeah, she and you and trust me, my mother was a big part of my life. And she she although she let me kind of make these decisions and 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 she was supportive. She knew it would be three thousand miles away. But I think the saving grace was these games were on TV, so she would get to see at least a lot of games. She came out to visit twice a year. She would come and spend some time when we had a block of games in Syracuse. In the spring. In the spring, not in the winter. No, in the winter. winter. Your mom is G. Yeah. yeah. And then she never never missed a Big East tournament. So she always went to New York City, Madison Square Garden. So, so that kind of made it easier, you know, in terms of still having contact with me, but she, she, she was supportive. She didn't, she didn't try to say, go here, go there, stay home. She let me kind of do my thing. And let me ask high school, you graduated. How, like, what was your, your grade point average? How uh, well did you do? You know, now it was just a 3.9 or whatever it was. You know, now, now kids, like my kids, my kids, when they, they're good students as well. Yeah. And when they graduated high school with the honors and the AP classes, I think they, they both were above four, four. three, four, 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 whatever, you know, they were above four. Right. And, um, but uh, even those guys, I, 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 I take my hat off to them because they searched this stuff out on their own. They weren't trying to follow in the footsteps, but they, they found their path and their way and they're great students, both of them graduated here at Oregon State in three years. And Ethan already graduated? Ethan is already graduated. Wow. Yes. And so my my oldest son and, and Ethan will do it this year. They got a year of their masters out of the way, you know, while they were finishing their eligibility up uh here at um here at Oregon State. Damn. Yeah. Cool. So, all right, I got to unpack a few things here. I was going to go back to Syracuse, but we got to make a, we got to make a detour. Um, I I mean, I'm going to ask the question. I know where it comes from. Um, I I think it's already kind of been documented here, kind of starting with your mother and her, her expectations of you, Mm -hmm. but how hard has it been to guide your sons? And and I don't just say you, I know in combination with your wife, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, guiding your your children toward achieving the way they have, right? Because to graduate from college in three years with mm-hmm. excellent grades while mm-hmm. being a student athlete, mm-hmm. I can't think of a more difficult thing for for an adolescent to have to go through and and be good. Yeah. Like these guys are like walking buckets. Yeah. So yeah. how how does the, how do you do that? Uh, well, first of all, I'm blessed. I'm blessed with a wonderful wife who who was a, a, a college athlete herself. Uh-huh. She played college volleyball. And so I think she she had great understanding and understood what it is to be a student athlete, what it is to have success. So when 
our boys got this from both parents. And, and it wasn't forced on them. This is just how they were taught. They were, uh, they were taught that, you know, achievement, you know, to, to try to be the best in all walks of, of life. And they've been taught that for, uh, since they were babies. And so when it's actually time to do it, they, you know, they've understood it for, for quite some time. And, um, it takes sacrifice. Those guys would be up, you know, they, they put way more into it in time than me. I know I would try to get to bed early when I was in high school, I'd be in bed, <laughs> try to get to mm-hmm. bed. So I'd be rest for practice. But those guys with the busy schedule and the class load they took, they would take, you know, they'd be going to sleep really late. And I'd always worry about, would they have enough energy to, you Conquer know, the day. get through the day, but, and, but they did. And, um, they, they, you know, they had their time management. They, they, I mean, don't get it wrong. They're like, they hang out, they have their friends and they do their thing, but they understand there's an order in what to do and how to do it. And, you know, they had opportunities to go uh, scholarship offers to Stanford, Harvard's Ivy league schools. So I think with them, they said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice my knowledge. I'm going to, try to get the most out of anywhere I go. And it just led to them graduating in three years. And like you said, the, their GPAs in college are good as well. And uh, we always stress, you know, we talk about getting a PhD. <laughs> you know, wow. we, don't, we don't want to stop. Because when I was coming up, it was about graduating college, right. getting your bachelor's degree. Now we talk about trying to go further. So I don't know. Hope uh, prayerfully that they may do that, but at least I know they got one year out of their master's out of the way, and hopefully they continue to and get their master's degree. You, you're in a privileged position on many fronts. Um, you have, I mean, obviously you're a coach of student athletes. You are a father to successful student athletes that have achieved on high levels, both on the floor and academically. You, I say you're privileged in the sense that you have the proven examples to show this, the kids that are playing for you and, and coach Tinkle. Um, what I, you basically can help them understand what the path looks like, mm-hmm. right? Because you hear often, unfortunately too often, you got kids that go to college, they have a scholarship. They don't utilize it. Mm-hmm. They just play They're on campus just to have fun and play ball they don't, and some some of them stay there for years and still don't graduate. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really sad to me because yes, you're talented, it's awesome, but which I'm sure is the case in your household. Like, there's an end to this at some point, and it's yep. very far fetched for anyone to play professionally long term. Yep, you might be fortunate enough to make a roster here and there, but yep. to compound like a career, really difficult. Yep. So what are you going to rest your laurels on, right? Yep. Yep. And and I don't know, like I, I the quest, all that buildup is to ask you: Do these kids that you come across, do you feel like just generally, does it click more now, or is it still kind of just hit or miss? I I I think it's I think it clicks a little bit more now. You still have some guys who are just for basketball and. The first thing I, I tell all the student athletes I coach, the, the, I let them know I've played 11 years of professional ball. 
I retired from playing at 32 years old. Well, the bills don't stop after, <laughs> after that. You still need to make money. Right. And I let them know that the job I have right now, because a lot of them will say, oh, I want to be a coach. Well, to have a job at the level that I have one, you have to have your college degree. And uh, I let them know that that's important. You know, some people can make it and have success without a college degree. And I understand that. That's fine. I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but it sure does help especially when you're on a campus and have the opportunity to, to, to get it. I know a big thing is, you know, college athletes should get paid. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't because there's a lot of money made. Uh, yeah, off their backs. But, yeah, but, but how do you, how do you uh, since the rules are set up to where you don't get paid, how do you do, how do you, what do you do? Well, that scholarship is worth a lot of money. And so don't waste it only by seeing one part of it, the basketball part of it. There's so many resources available to you. You have tutors, you have academic advisors, you have so many people that will reach out to, 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 uh, to help you have success. You know, take advantage of this and leave here with your degree. And um, that's huge. That's what I try to push to, to kids all the time because you, it opens up some doors for you when you when you get that degree. So big time. And that's what that's what I'm about. I I got into coaching. Yeah, of course, I want to win, and I want to win at a big time level. But I do want to help young kids to be and put them on the right road to success, so they can be uh, good citizens, good fathers, good family men, and have success. You know, providing for their families as well. Mm. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna echo that one in the promotions for this episode. <laughs> um, so let, let's go back to to Syracuse. So yeah. you're a Cali dude. You get there. You know New York is frigid. Yep. What's your first year there? Like, what's what's that? I mean, around your birthday, it's crazy cold. What was that like? I tell you, uh, it's uh, I get there. Oh God, get there in the fall. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. First snow hits. I'm like, oh, I've, ne I've never been in snow. Right. Never been in snow. First snow hits. I'm out there. Snow angels on the ground. I'm doing all this, enjoying it, loving it. So after about a week, I'm like, okay, I've had my, I've had enough of this. You know, snow, it's time for you to go away. Right. Now that snow didn't go anywhere. It continued to snow for three straight months. And, <laughs> and and Syracuse, you know, probably in where you're at in New York City, maybe you have buildings to right. to to protect you from the snow. But here, it's hitting the ground and it's sticking. It's it's. I was ready for it to go. And quite honestly, I enjoy, once again, I enjoyed my time at Syracuse. But it was the winners, like man, boy, this is crazy. It's aggressive. Had it not been my freshman year, we made it to the championship game. We lose to Indiana at the buzzer. And Keith Smart, Keith Smart hits a shot. I mean, kind of angled behind the backboard. You know, he was a corner shot, but he was angled to where it wasn't a clean look. He hits it. We lose. But we had a lot of success that freshman, my freshman year. <clears throat> and so I think with the basketball success that we had, I said, you know what? Maybe it's OK to stick around a, a little bit longer. And I, maybe I can deal with the 
the snow and the elements out here. But that was the best decision of my life as well to stick that out. Too many times you see now, I think it's almost a thousand names in the NCA transfer portal. Yeah, it's insane. Now. And so, but I was really uh, uh, glad that I stuck that out there and it ended up the next few years was just great. It was just a great time. How, how much of your decision to go to Syracuse rested on or had anything to do with the incoming freshmen. So Derek Coleman was part of your freshman class, right? Yeah. Um, yep. You had a few other guys. Sherman Douglas had already been there. Ronnie Cycli yep. was already there. Yep. How much did that, how much did you know, A, that yep. Derek Coleman was coming and, and others, B, yep. the, the present roster, how much did that make you say, you know what, these are additional check marks that I want, I want to make sure I'm a part of? Uh, really not, not much at all. Interesting. And I, I tell you now you, I probably looked at it a little bit, but not much because the main things I was looking at is what I pointed out earlier. I, I, I thought pro the pro Washington left after his junior year. Right. If he would have stayed, he would have been a senior when I was a freshman. Senior. So that was a big, that one was a big piece because I wanted to play with him. But that was probably the only in, in terms of roster that I was looking at to have the opportunity to play with Pearl Washington. What else sold me there was, like I said earlier, they're, they're, how much they were on TV and the exposure you would get, the national exposure you would get, and the th- playing in front of thirty-five thousand fans. That was that was the big selling point because hmm. at that time, Derek Coleman, he was almost uh, unheard of. I right. hadn't heard of Derek Coleman. Uh, Maybe he went to that camp with me. Um, I can't remember if he was even at that camp. But because that year, the, the number one and two players were Terry Mills out of Michigan and J.R. Reed, who ended up going to North Carolina. So Derek Coleman was kind of an unknown up until that senior year. And he ended up being a McDonald's All-American with me. But I didn't know of him when I committed to Syracuse mm-hmm. University. Sherman Douglas, his freshman year, which was my senior year of high school, he was riding the bench as a freshman because Pearl Washington right. got all the minutes at the point guard. So he was a guy I didn't really know much about because he didn't see a lot of minutes, That's cool. you know, that freshman year. So my decision really in terms of personnel was just based really off of Pearl Washington. And then, like I said, the exposure and, and carry all the other- dome. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Um, so, so you guys click your freshman year. What, what was it? Because it's really rare, especially when you got a couple freshmen uh, in the mix, right, in the starting yep. five. Yep. How, how did, what do you attribute that chemistry happening and that skill set kind of complementing each other the way it did? I think uh, you had a lot of guys now playing with a chip on their shoulder. So once again, I said uh, um, Sherman Douglas didn't play a lot as a freshman. So now he's got a lot to prove his sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Derek Coleman, who ends up being the number one pick in the draft. But at that point, he was behind a whole lot of other players that that got more more notoriety, more publicity than he did coming out of high school. Ronnie Cycli another kind of under the radar guy who, who 
nobody gave a whole lot of credit to. And remember now the team the year before they lost Pearl Washington, but they also lost a guy named Wendell Alexis and um, Raphael Addison who were major players. So this was almost like a new team coming in where everybody had a lot to prove. One of the things I had to prove, you talked about going from the West Coast to the East Coast, everybody thought West Coast was soft or whatever. Soft and whatever. So now I had to prove, no, this is how we play and this is how we get it done. So I think it just came together. And then Beheim was great style of play. We got up and down the floor. He let you play in the open court. He knew everybody's talents. He let you play to your strengths. And it just it just all clicked. And really, it should have clicked to us winning the championship. Right. I ended up being roommates in the CBA with Keith Smart, <laughs> or teammates, I should say. And great guy. And, and it's funny, too, because Steve Alford, I coached against in the Pac-12 because he was at UCLA. And... They'll, 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 when, when you talk with them, they'll always let you know about those guys. But that, <laughs> you know, those two guys ended up being great guys. Though. What, what does, what does Keith Smart say about that shot? Like, uh, it's, it's, it's not what he says. It's just the smirk <laughs> that he gives you. You know, he lets you know. He lets you know that he hit the shot. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, uh, you flourish. In uh, well, so without knowing it at the time, you're playing with at a minimum, and I looked this up. You're you're playing alongside yourself included on that squad. There's at least four NBA players. Yep, yep. At a time, I think later, maybe closer to your senior year, there was six. Yep. That went pro. Yep. What the hell? Because. <laughs> I mean, you got to give credit to Coach Beheim and and the staff for recruiting, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, just as much, the product on the floor is is also, you know, pulling in interest, right? Yeah, yeah. The dynamic just continues to improve, and you guys click, and everybody's like, it it felt like for my, my, at the time, I wasn't really paying, I was a little kid when you guys were in your prime doing your thing. But as I look back and kind of do my research, it, you saw a growth and an expansion of the team. I don't know how you guys fared year to year per se, but just statistically, there was an even, more or less even spread across yeah. the team. Yeah, That's really hard to do when yeah. you've got, again, up to like six NBA guys on one yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how does that happen? You know, I, I, I believe when I counted, I think through, through my four years, eight of us at least touched an NBA floor. You oh, know, wow. Through, through that time. But uh, it's funny because after that freshman year, when, every, when we were never expected to make it that far, we were never expected. We never got back that far. We, we made it to the Elite Eight our junior year. But we still had great seasons, you know, the next three years. And I just think that, uh, once again, you got to give credit to Beheim for getting the talent. Yeah. And, 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 and creating a situation where the talent wants to, wants to be there. Because to be honest with you, I, and I'll tell Beheim this, and he knows that I was probably the easiest recruit because those, it wasn't so much our, how he talked to me or whatever. It was those other factors that really recruited me right. to Syracuse. But I think that's part of recruiting, building 
the story. Building something like that where a kid 3,000 miles away would want to be a part of. And I think he just, it was a style of play and a, a system that he put into place that attracted that type of talent. And, um, and, and it was just, it was a fun time. It, it was a fun time. I, I enjoy showing, uh, you know, my kids, sometimes you'll get a, a clip or a highlight and I enjoy really showing my kids, you know, kind of how we did it back, back during that time. It's, it's beautiful to see. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that they were, I mean, you, you were there because you saw a lot of TV time yeah. for, for those teams. So obviously you yeah. were going to get some clips out there for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting. And my friend that put me on to you, his name is Daryl Lynch. He's a California mm-hmm. guy and he, he's a diehard Syracuse fan. When I moved to the mm-hmm. Bay area, he mentioned that, and I was like, wait a minute, are you from New York? Like, wh- how, what's your connection? And I can't recall 100% if he mentioned your name then, but I know the era that you played in was very significant in his fandom, right? Yeah. Um, and I know he mentioned, and they had a California guy, right? Yeah. And he's the one recently, I was like, dude, I know you're a humongous fan. Like, who should I have on my show? Cause you gotta yeah. get Stephen Thompson because he's my Cali buddy. I was like, yeah. done. Yeah. So I say that to say, did you ever realize, you know, when you got back home to LA, that Syracuse Orangemen fans would be popping up out of the woodwork because of you? Uh, not, not really. No, no, not not. And and now after going through it, boy, it's a lot of fans <laughs> back and all over the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know whatever, it's, but it's probably that way with uh, a lot of the big programs. most most universities. Even for my boys, they'll they'll go all these different places, and uh, um, or somebody would say Oregon State Beaver. They recognize them or know them. And uh, God, my son uh, Ethan, God, he was playing in, um, uh, and this was actually before he went to Oregon State. He was playing on the Puerto Rican national team. And they went to. Uh, uh, Wait, you, God, your wife was Puerto Rican? Yes, yes. No yes. way. Yes, yes, oh, yes. That's, so that's phenomenal. Yeah, and he uh, went to the uh, FIBA uh, under eighteen championships, and I, I think it was was it Argentina or somewhere. But anyway, somebody recognized him and knew that his brother had played on the Beavers and was trying to find out if he was going to play, wow. you know, on, on, on the Beavers. So I think a lot of these schools, especially in the Power Five conferences, have so many fans all over the place. Yeah. yeah. It's it's great. And then now with such easy access to information, I mean, it's nothing for, you know, yeah. to make those connections happen. Yeah. Yeah. So so you're an assistant coach now, right? Yeah. Um, you had an opportunity. You, you coached at the head coach level um, back at Cal State L.A., yeah. Uh, you, you, how do you recruit kids, right? Because you, I'll call him a master because of the way he put he, he continues to put his teams together in Jim Beheim. I don't yeah. know Coach Tinkle very well, but you guys have been working yeah. together for six years. I have to imagine yeah. it's a great yeah. bond there as well. Yeah. What What's your approach to the yeah. recruitment process? Uh, I, I just try to be transparent. I try to be honest. And I try to... I try to let them know what they would be receiving from our university. Yes, we know the basketball part of it. That's the easy, that's the easy part, you know? And I, 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 for me, I don't make a lot of promises 
like, oh, you're going to be this or that. I let them know that the opportunity, each kid has a different opportunity, whatever that opportunity would be. I present that to them. And now you have to make the most of that opportunity once you get on the court, you know, so just try to be honest with the kids are the most important thing. But then also to let them know that during this time, you're, you're, you're not just getting a coach for four years or however long you stay at our university. You're getting a, 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 a partnership of someone who will be there to try to help you be successful through the rest of your life. You have an ally, a resource, a mentor, somebody who's there for the long run. And um, that's like I said, that's why I, I got into this business and I try to present that to each person that I recruit. And it comes from, and, it, and it's not, and it comes from, I, I, a sense, it's sincere it's as genuine, well. genuine. You know, yeah. this is, I, you know, I, I, I have to really believe in the recruit. I have to, I have to have that relationship in order to do it because it's just not something you give just to everybody, you know? And yeah, once, then it wouldn't be genuine. If then it wouldn't be genuine. Did. So once you make that connection and you make that, uh, you know, you build, you have to build that relationship in recruiting. And, and that's my, that's how I go about it. What, what do you tell, um, and, and I, I don't like to youth bash, but mm-hmm. I, I'll say in, in every, in every nest, there's a bunch of, you know, potential bad seeds or folks that think a particular way. Th- those that you might come across that are supremely gifted, um, mm-hmm. that your program has to chase because you guys are in a competition, right? You you need mm-hmm. to try to get the best possible players you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, there needs to be a fit as well. But generally speaking, you're, you're out there trying to get everybody that, that makes yeah. sense for your program. Yeah. Um, but you'll come across folks that have a sense of entitlement or they are after things that are out of bounds, if mm-hmm. you will, right? Mm-hmm. How do you navigate those waters? Because there's there's a balance, right? There's like you you have to go get the best you can, and sometimes that means you might have to do things or say things outside of of bounds. And some people do, some people don't. Yeah. What? How how do you compete? Because OSU's a they they got a good program. Like you guys, you guys aren't a bunch of schleps. Yeah. How do you maintain that while still you know filling the the, the pipeline with the right kinds of guys and grooming them the way you need to. Well, I, I, once again, I think it's honesty and I think sharing, I think the staff that we have, uh, coach Tinkle's a former, uh, player himself. Right. And so I think when you share these, the experiences that we've had, not only as coaches, but as players as well, the kids can relate to you a little differently. And so I think getting them to understand that we can help you navigate through some of these things and at the same time, make your game sharper because we've played at that level and we know the ins and outs of, of uh, what you need to do in order to be successful. Some of these kids probably, you know, may not think they need to know it. Some kids do know it and understand it that this may be where I need to go so I can get to where I want to get. So just being able to present that to them. And once again, kids can figure out, too, when you're not sincere. 
You know what I'm saying? They can figure out. And so a lot of times, though, in recruiting, I, I for me, it's always important. They're going to have their family structure uh, that that they, they lean on for advice. And they're going to have, whether it's their high school coach, AAU coach, or somebody else who, you know, you're going to have to talk to. But I always believe that you definitely have to present that to those people as well. But it's always important to me to also talk to the kid and let them know, you know, what what Oregon State or what our recruiting, what what our vision is more than recruiting, what our vision is for each, you know, individual athlete. You you played overseas. You said nine years. Mm-hmm. Was that prime? Was that mostly like year to year, or did you stay anywhere for a long stint? Uh, so my playing career, eleven years total. Every year it was just a one year contract. Okay. Now, when I did play four years in Japan, and I played three years of that four years on one team. But but it was it wasn't a three year contract. I played the year and re-signed with them, you know, for the next year. So every year was almost it was it was exciting because you 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 you're kind of waiting to see what the new the next experience is. But it was also well, I want to sign a five or six year deal to have some type of. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. But it was okay because once again, I still felt blessed by even having the opportunity to play 11 years. And I could have played longer, but my oldest son was, I think he might've been three, three maybe when I retired from playing, Ethan might've been one. So I, I, I had, I still had some years left in the tank, but it was time now for me to get into my second thing. Uh, my next, my next uh, part of my life, and to set some roots down for my family, mm. and that's when the job came up at Cal State LA. It was perfect. I mean, that was two, less than you know, without traffic, it was 22 minutes from my house, wow. and you know, it was it, it just was a perfect, perfect situation. And that was a that was a almost immediate transition. So you retired, yeah, yeah, and then did, boom. You know, I did I did one year as a. a I was at a K through eight Christian school as its athletic director for one year. And as I was doing that, I was coaching one of the top AAU programs in Southern California. So what was the name? uh, Southern California All-Stars, SCA. And when I when I did that, my wife actually came on and worked at that school as well, which really turned out to be a blessing because she ended up going, uh, teaching and working at that school. Uh, she, excuse me. She was a vice principal and administrator at that school for 16 years. Wow. And this is the school that my kids went through, went to from kindergarten through eighth grade. Actually, I think they went to preschool there as well. So that one year stint kind of was a blessing to kind of set our family up for a great foundation. Wow. That's awesome, man. Yeah. What, what would you tell yourself coming out of high school? Like, what advice would you give yourself that would have maybe helped you do something different or more? I mean, your life, the way you describe it and, and the way it reads when you do some research, I mean, it's pretty freaking yeah. text, not textbook, but yeah. like pretty, pretty positive and nice travels. Obviously, you have your, everybody has their trials and tribulations, but I, I'm curious, what do you tell your 16 year old self 
when yeah. you're on the verge of going to college? Yeah. Well, it's, 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 I mean, I actually, I've, I've done it. I, I, it wasn't myself. It was my sons. So, you know, and one thing with them, you know, growing up for myself, I was a very hard worker and, and I, I, I spent a lot of time being a better basketball player, excelled in, in the classroom as well. And I, I don't know what I could have done differently more, but maybe to even try to expand, you know, uh, uh, different areas. Like one thing here with my, like for myself, outside shooting was one of the things that I, that I didn't do it because I was, my game was going to the basket. So maybe I'd have spent more time working on other areas of my game. And I did work on that as well, but I just felt really comfortable going to the basket. But if you had a chance to see my sons play, I tried to now give them, okay, we're going to work on this. We're going to spend a certain amount of time working on this, working on this, working on all these things. And they were able at a very young age to incorporate all these things into their games. And if you watch them play now, they're, you know, they have a, 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 what's the word? Their IQ and feel for the game is, you know, off the charts, Mm. you know, not only can they put the ball in the basket, they can shoot the ball. They can go from the mid range. They see the floor well and pass it. They, you know, they, their this understanding of the game was, uh, um, instilled in them at a very young age and that's why they're able to play at a high level and and play at a play at it on a high level and play at a high level because of these things that you know maybe i missed when i was at that age yeah yeah what what do you tell because the three-pointer today is like the default mechanism for scoring right yeah the yeah. game is opened up to that degree. Yeah. The uh, there's the elimination of positions for the most part, right? Yeah. Um, what do you tell a kid, a high school kid today that has aspirations to play collegiately? Mm-hmm. What do you tell them to focus on? Uh, once again, don't don't you you've got to do all things now in today's game because the floor is spread. There's not a lot of post play. So if I have a post player. I've got to now work with him to be able to stretch the floor and shoot it from outside. And if he's not going to be able to shoot it from outside, then he's got to be the best roller, you know, setting a screen and rolling to the basket to suck the defense down. So there's specific things, you know, yes, I would continue to work on his post game and all that, but he's now got to learn a couple of specific things if he's not going to be able to stretch the floor. Any other position on the court, you've got to be able to stretch the floor and shoot. I mean, your four men now have to be able to shoot in this game of basketball because you've got to, you know, you've got to open up the floor for now your James Hardens and your special players to be able to drive the basketball and they need space to do it. Mm. And if you have great three point shooting around them, where are you going to help? You know, so I do think, you know, I didn't grow up with that. See, when I grew up, I think the three-point line, when I got to Syracuse, that might have been the first or second year of the three-point line. Right. If you go back and watch a Syracuse game now, all 10 players are inside of the three-point line because that's just everybody was getting used to it, and that's how the game was played. 
Now you very seldom see guys in the paint right. because they have to guard on that perimeter. So that that you you hit it on the nose. You got that's a skill that you have to teach kids now at a young age because that's what the game has evolved to. You know, here in the United States as well as international. Yep. Final question for you. So this coming season is, for all intents and purposes, up in the air, right? Yep. Um, yep. And the NBA is going to go through their experiment. And mm-hmm. right now, the way it seems right this second, mm-hmm. it's looking kind of grim because you're hearing more and more guys testing positive and whatnot for COVID. Yeah. What are your – if if the NCAA is un, unable to get going this coming mm-hmm. season, what what's the backup plan? Like, is it just sit, wait? Like, what what are you, as an assistant coach, going to be doing? I, I, that's a tough. That's a tough question. Right now, everything is everything from us is geared to play as normal. Of course. So, I, I, outside of that, I, I, I that's that's for right now. That's how I've got to Think. focus. Yeah. And and right now, our kids just got back on campus for voluntary workouts. But the the coaches, the basketball coaches, they only can work with our strength and conditioning coaches during these voluntary workouts. So I haven't seen what it looks like yet to actually be on the court with the players and with restrictions. I'm pretty sure it's going to be mask. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be the tight huddles and the high fives and the, all this stuff anymore. So I haven't seen yet what it, what it looks like. So I probably could answer that question if a little wants. bit later, yeah. but if there were to be, if there weren't to be a season, I would, have to think you still kind of like this this spring we won our first game in the Pac-12 tournament and we're getting ready the next day to play Oregon and and we were going to play them at noon maybe about 9 30 a.m they said it's it's over with so we still from that point up until now we still had to recruit we still had to work but it was been differently you got a lot of these Zoom calls. I hadn't heard of Zoom until nobody this did. Yeah, and so, yeah, and so you're Zoom calling, recruiting. You know, you're on the phone recruiting. You're still doing the necessary things to to make your program be better. But uh, so, but you just have to be prepared when it's time to play. You're go. ready. You're you're ready to go. But that's a tough question. I don't. You know, you just continue. Whatever the work is at hand, even if there's not a season, you got to continue to do that. Got to. Yeah. Coach Thompson, man, it was a great pleasure. Um, I thank you for for taking the time uh, and sharing your story. I was very, very intrigued. I'm very happy that uh, your life has taken the turns that have led you to to be where you are. And, again, congrats to you and your wife, man, on amazing children. Do you have more than just your sons? No, just just two the boys. Two. Okay, the two. I didn't want to leave anybody out. Yeah. If I knew, if I knew, and I would tease my wife, this is just a joke. If we knew that they would be that good in basketball, we would have had a whole team. Damn straight. <laughs> yeah. Y'all yeah. got the pedigree. You got the formula yeah, down, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's called being selfish. Y'all had yeah. to. Y'all had to give the world more. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man. So you go ahead and you enjoy, man. I, I wish you all the best of luck. Hopefully the yeah. season does start and we can see you guys on the floor very yep. soon. Yep, I appreciate it. All right, my brother. You take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribbling Dimes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D-R-I-B-B-L-E-N-D-I-M-E-S.